ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. Uh, today I have with me a sports writer, former television analyst, and cover of all things LSU, Kate Adams. Kate, how are you doing today? Hey, David. Thank you so much for having me on. What an um, entrance. I love it. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, this is going to be a very difficult week for the LSU Tigers. Um, certainly just dealing with a not only a loss that was surprising, but a bad-looking loss. Um, you saw Coach Orgeron's press conference. How did, the t- how did he respond to this loss, and uh, how, did, how do you think this team is going to respond? Well, I think it's like Coach O said. I mean, he said it starts with the coaching staff. And so I think right now he's being particularly hard on himself. Um, He knows that he's got to set the example for these guys, and it all starts with him. And so I think he's kind of taking a hard look in the mirror and seeing what he can do better as a coach and what he needs to tell the rest of his coaching staff to kind of work on and do to set that example and to set the standard for this year's team. I mean, but this is just a completely different team. I know that all these LSU fans really pretty sure that we're all shocked. None of us were expecting the Tigers to come in and lose at home in Tiger stadium. Obviously it was a completely different atmosphere with only 25% capacity. But when you look at the numbers, David, I mean, LSU lost 34 total guys from last year's roster. 14 of those guys went into the NFL draft out of those 14. Five of them were first-round picks. You've got four other guys who opted out um, for the 2020 NFL season. And then you've just got a few other things that happened during the season. So we're missing a big chunk, you know, from last year's roster. And it really just makes a difference. This year we got a young team. This is, you know, Miles Brennan's mm-hmm. first real start. And, you know, he didn't do – terrible job it's just KJ KJ Costello came out there and did something amazing that a lot of us has never even seen so uh, you know Mississippi State was ready to go I I could see their energy on the sidelines the whole entire game and you know they're led by new head coach Mike Leach and what I thought was pretty funny um, you know looking at Mike he said you know he couldn't play the Kansas City Chiefs or the Green Bay Packers so they came to play LSU you know Right. Um, Mike Leach is known for saying some pretty um, off the wall comments, but he always uh, makes his interviews pretty entertaining. But, you know, for Coach O and the LSU Tigers, they just need to stay focused. I remember all last year, one thing that Coach O continually preaches to his players is ball security. And I think that's something that they're really going to need to focus on this week because there, there were some missed opportunities in that game against Mississippi State. And, you know, just it's a new team. It's a young team, but they really need to focus on some of the fundamentals of football. And I, I think if they focus on that and Coach O and his coaching staff really kind of key into what they're wanting to preach their guys as far as ball security and different things like that, you know, I think, you know, eventually we're going to see this LSU team really come together. Yeah, I, I think that what we had to remember is there was going to be a fallback no matter what. It, it just – it. It, it, there was just because of the losses, the simple fact that you lost, you know, the single greatest single season quarterback in the history of college football up, and during the singles greatest season in the history of college football. So there's only, it's only logical that you can't expect to duplicate that right out of the gate to have no real, you know, not to have the same camp, to not have any warmups for Miles Brennan and to have this inexperienced offensive line and have a very young uh, defense adjusting to a new scheme. It's the perfect storm, especially when you go up against someone like you, like a Mike Leach, who is going to throw everything possible at you. It really is. I mean, it's just everything that you touched on and, and look, Miles Brennan, he didn't have a terrible game. You know, he threw for 345 yards, you know, he had a few touchdowns in there. So it wasn't like, you know, Miles Brennan had this awful game. And I know a lot of people are wanting to kind of 
key into him and say, well, it's all his fault. Well, you, you do have to look at his offensive line, like you, like you said. You have to look at the way the defense played. And, you know, one of those big storylines from the LSU game was Derek Stingley Jr. was out. And, you know, he's a huge part of that team, but he's not the entire defense, okay? But he is one of the best players we've got on our team this year. And to have him out, I think, was – you know, a big disadvantage um, to LSU and the Tigers. And even Coach O said it. He said, look, he's a huge part of our team. I think they're hoping to get him back to practice today so they can make sure he is able to play against Bandy this upcoming week. But having him out and then just the different environment, not getting the reps in over the summer due to the pandemic, you know, everything has just changed. And it does make for the perfect storm. And I mean, going, having to follow up after Joe Burrow, look, I've got Joe Burrow actually on my fantasy team this year, and he's done amazing for me so far. And that's his first year in the NFL, you know. So for a guy like Brennan to follow up against a class act like Burrow, I mean, it's it's a tough act to follow. But, you know, Brennan, I, I think he just needs to hang in there. One of the things I would like to see from him is for him to make a little quicker decisions yes. and get that ball out of his hand faster. And, um, and I'd like him to scan, you know, I, I feel like during certain times during the game, he wasn't really looking at the whole field. Like sometimes he would only zone into those certain players and he probably was banking on having Jamar Chase um, in his pocket for the season. But unfortunately, Jamar Chase, who's one of the arguably the best wide receivers in the entire country, he did opt out for that 2020 season. And so now he's having to look at different guys. But I think Terrace Marshall Jr. is going to be a huge um, LSU player for us this year. And I think he'll kind of take on that role that maybe Jamar Chase was originally going to have. So I think just really kind of spreading the field um, like LSU did last year, they got the ball in multiple guys' hands. Um, and look, we had some of the best receivers in the country last year too with Justin Jefferson and, right. you know, everyone else. And he just had a breakout game this past weekend as well. So it, when you lose big time guys like that, it really does have to be that next man up ma mentality. And I know that LSU is all about that. So we do have some younger guys here, you know, on our squad that are going to make that difference. And I think that they want their chance to shine as well. Um, when we look at those guys who do, who can step up, the backfield is certainly one of those, of those areas where LSU wanted to do that. There was a stretch in the game where they were running the ball effectively. Uh, but as teams started bringing more players, teams start bringing more players into the box uh, to kind of test Miles Brennan, do you think that LSU may do some adjustment and bring another tight end in to block just maybe to uh, give Brennan just a little more time uh, and allow the running game to develop? Uh, you know, they may. I think they're going to do um, whatever they can. I mean, we saw uh, Gilbert. He's a, he's a tight end, and he's a freshman for the Tigers. Mm -hmm. I mean, he stepped up and, and did what he needed to do this game. And, you know, he's only a freshman, so I think like guys like him, they're going to utilize. They're going to use who Brennan feels comfortable with, who they're probably going to do some different things in practice. And, you know, Coach O, he does always have different things up his sleeve he surrounds himself with a great coaching staff and they're going to have to do what it takes if they want to be um, another championship caliber team this season. I know you, you really just can't compare this team to last year's team at all. It's a completely different team. And a lot of times people try to do that, but guys are going to have to step up, especially in the tight end position and guys that we don't even really know much about. I, I think that's, they're going to be huge different makers on this year's team because uh, I mean, they have to be if we, if we want to see a better Tigers team. When you talk about the coaching staff, the guy who is under the gun is Bo Pelini. Um, you know, the story comes out that he's the first one in Coach O's office to say, I didn't do a good job on this. Well, yeah, I mean, that was going to be the thing when you give up 620 yards through the air on SEC's record in your first game. The surprise part was for me, and Mike Leach commented on as well, is that LSU never adjusted by letting those young DBs have more space instead of keeping them in press. Um, how did Coach Ogeron respond to those questions? And what are he and Coach Pelini going to – how do they communicate about the changes that they want to see? I think you've just got to have some different game plans in there. Um, it, it just seems like Pelini was really just focused on – kind of the certain game plan he had for that game. And I, I, there was a lot of blitzing and they missed a lot of tackles where they, there should have been tackles made. And you just can't 
miss big plays like that. His players have got to be able to read the other team's plays better. They've got to be more disciplined. And and for enable for in order for Pelini to come out and say, you know what, I didn't do as great of a job as I should have. You don't necessarily want to hear that, but at least he is recognizing, hey, I messed up. I should have done better. And I think it does all start with the coaching staff because they are the ones who are making the game plan. They're setting the example for those players. And so the players need to be able to look at their coaches and know exactly what is expected of them and what plays they need to do in order to get um, a great game plan and to win the game. How much uh, of it do you think it is in, in the adjustment in personnel uh, for you know the switching defensive styles and getting players who were not accustomed to this um, again those those lacks of lack of reps did the players um, have the coaching staff talked about that as, as being something that you know they wish they'd had more time for well I think just sports in general right now due to the pandemic no one has been able to get the amount of time in that they would like obviously you know you had to do things a little differently, whether it was Zooming with your players or giving them workouts to do at home before you could really all work out together. And I definitely think it has made an impact. But for Pelini to come in and then following up Dave Aranda's defense last year, I mean, that's another big, big loss for the Tigers. Just, you know, Dave Aranda's now a head coach, and he, he's just completely different than Bo Pelini. Dave Aranda, um, I, I've met him more than a few times, and he – I've never seen the guy smile. I'm not trying to say he doesn't smile, but he's just very um, – uh, he's just kind of hardcore. He honestly scared me a little bit when I saw him sometimes. So I just think that him uh, – Bo Pelini seems a little bit more jovial, a little bit more laid back. Um, I just think it's a – they're different people. They do coach the defense differently, and it is something that the players do have to adjust to um, and get used to because they're just two totally different coaches. And I think that's why you saw the immediate impact um, – you know, of your when you have these graduate transfers and, and Jabril Cox comes in and his experience certainly shows up in that game. He played not only, you know, scoring the first touchdown of the season on an interception, but he was noticeable throughout the game in his effort. And so it's clear that gap in experience for a guy like that and, and what he's going to have to do leadership-wise in, in teaching some of these guys nuances of college defense at this level. I agree. And, you know, again, like I said earlier, it really does just go all the way back to the fundamentals of football. I, I think that's where LSU really needs to focus on. You know, here in Louisiana, they always do the Manning Passing Academy. And that um, football camp, you know, put on by the Mannings, it specifically focuses on football fundamentals. And I felt like that was something that Mississippi State executed really well this past week when we watched them play. And it was something that LSU was lacking on because it's not always okay you need to just um you know get this interception or do this it's almost like when I was watching I almost felt well is are the Tigers just going for those big plays and just instead of just doing small things that will lead up you know over the course of the game that will all kind of culminate together in order for them to get the win sometimes it feel like feels like the players do want to make those star plays and we did have some players do that. I mean, Jabril Cox, thank God he did get that interception um, for the touchdown, you know, but, and that kind of got the game started and got the momentum going. But, you know, these guys really just need to focus on the fundamentals, I believe. And when you've got a team this young and they don't have a whole bunch of that senior leadership on the team either um, to really look up to, to kind of help teach all those things in the locker room and on the field, I think it's difficult. So, that's why I think they are turning a lot more to their coaching staff this year because you don't have those veterans like they normally do on the team that are kind of coaching these younger guys through it and telling them, you know, okay, this is how it is. This is what needs to be done. And then you do have the change in coaching staff. So there's just so much change and things that the Tigers have to work through this season that they're just really not used to. The schedule doesn't get easier. I mean, typically you'd say, oh, you know, trip to Vanderbilt – not a problem, but Vanderbilt played very well against Texas A&M, particularly on defense um, last week. Then you, you come home, Missouri, at Florida. You know, so it's, it's going to – this team has to grow up pretty quickly. I think it's important, though, for fans to kind of measure this season as what do they look like at the end? Because this is such a – as you said, it's an unusual season across the board – 
I, I'd be much more focused as, as to what LSU looks like when it plays Mississippi in December than what they look like last Saturday against Mississippi State. I agree. I mean, anything you do in life, we all know it's all about repetition. And that's what this LSU football needs. They need to get in the practice. They need to get in the reps. Miles Brennan needs to get in the reps of being the starting quarterback for the LSU Tigers. And I'd much rather take the loss right now in the beginning of the season because it's almost – it's something bad happening. You know, you're coming off this great 15-0 and championship season. Like you said earlier, probably one of the best – football teams in the history of college football, you know, you can't expect this next team when you lost so many guys, like I was mentioning, you know, 34 guys off, off the overall roster, 14 of those, you know, went to the draft. When you're losing all these starters and you're basically starting fresh, yes, we want to win. And it would have been nice because we did hold that. Um, we ha- Currently, we did have the longest winning streak um, nationally. It was 16 games, and that currently was the longest winning streak. Um, but we, you know, don't have that anymore because we got that loss. But um, you much rather would lose early and kind of build on your team throughout the season rather than losing at the end. So I think this is – I don't think it was good, but it, it might be beneficial because now the players can take a good look in the mirror and say, okay, well, these are the things we need to improve on, and if we do want to be a great team – how last year was a great team, then, then we got we to gotta get in there and we got to do some work and we got to prove to everyone that, that we are the real deal. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an attention grabber um, and, and they can use it for positive uh, motivation. And I think the coaching staff ultimately will. It humbles guys. You know, for you can't like you say you come off a high like that where the whole world is praising you. You're you you've been kings um, essentially. You know, you get to celebrate in ways in a state that loves football as much as any other in the country, if not more. And now you take this punch right in the face, boom! In week one, the, you know, this is what we talk about. How do you respond? Um, the main thing is I don't care if LSU wins ugly this weekend. I, you just want to see discipline. No, no penalties, no turnovers, and, and just sound defensive football. If they can do those things, that's a big step forward. It, it definitely is. Um, and those, like you just mentioned, they are just kind of the fundamentals of the game. And I know Jacoby Stevens, he said something. I think, you know, he was embarrassed. He, he, how do you call yourself DBU, you know, mm-hmm. when they had a game like they did this last Saturday? And for him wearing – you know, the number seven is such a big deal. And look, he came out and he was a star. I thought he did an incredible job this last week up against um, the Bulldogs. And I think Jacoby Stevens is going to continue to shine um, game in and game out every single week during the season. You just, you're going to have to have those other guys that step up to the plate that have that next man up mentality that are here ready to prove their worth. And it's, you know, the first loss that, you know, that that's tough, but there's still a lot of positives to take from this year's team. I mean, we're a very, very young inexperienced team and people just have to, they have to look at some of the positives and they just have to understand that it's just, it's not going to be last year's team because, you know, this is a different year. This is a new team. And I think that a lot of the fans out there are going to have to kind of understand that, you know, and, and I think that we have a chance to at least win seven games this season. And um, I, I do believe the Tigers will improve game after game after getting those reps in. That, that's my thought too at this point is that I thought before the season it was likely a 10 and 3 team. Um, and, and I still feel that way now because of the toughest games that they have with Florida on the road, Auburn on the road, um, and Bama at home. Those are, those are the ones that you, you, know, you look at. But now you've got this Mississippi State, so hopefully they pick up one in that other group. But yeah, I, I am not, I don't think it's one of those things where you push the panic button, but we know that there are folks who just need to be talked off the ledge. And just say, it's okay. Give it some time. They'll be all right. (laughs) No, that's right. But uh, you're right. We do have a difficult schedule up ahead. So the Tigers cannot let off the gas whatsoever. If anything, they need to have that foot down on the gas pedal all the way. Because we have a very, very tough schedule coming up. And, And you know what's crazy is I feel like in the SEC this season, Really, anything is possible because we are seeing teams, you know, Mississippi State, who wasn't a very great team last year. We're we're seeing different teams do really well. And like you mentioned with Vandy, I mean, Vandy, they put up a fight against Texas A&M and their defensive line is looking extremely sharp um, this season. And and it's going to you can't just go into a game and say, oh, well, it's just Vanderbilt. You know, it's just this because 
it's not. They're all big games. So even if it is a Vanderbilt or a Missouri, you need to still treat it like it's a Florida or an Alabama or an Auburn, you know, because because those every game is going to count, and the Tigers just need to prove game after game that they can really do it. Do it, especially for their fan base who. It seems to really doubt them right now, but I think the fan base, after they see a few more games from the Tigers, will be more confident in them. And lastly, you know how it goes around sports. If people think that that you're wounded, and they're going to look at LSU that way now after watching that Mississippi State game, other teams are going to look at you, and and this is this was already their national championship game anyway. You want to dethrone the returning champs. Now it looks like LSU has some weaknesses it's going to be even more interesting um, as, as teams try to, to attack those and how LSU responds. Well, every team is definitely want to, want, going to want to go after the defending national champions. I think that kind of was Mississippi State's exact mentality, just how you said. They want to find those weaknesses, and they want to reveal what weaknesses they haven't found already. And the one thing I will say, though, it seems like I've covered LSU for – several years, you know, kind of in and out since about 2009. But what I've noticed about this Tigers team, even under um, the leadership of Les Miles and different things like that, is this team, the LSU Tigers, they always work really well under pressure. And it's like when they are faced with adversity, they almost seem to do better. So maybe this loss in the first game, maybe it's something good. I think that they can definitely capitalize after, after this first loss. They can go back completely break down every piece of that film and really see where they need to improve. And like we were talking about earlier, you know, let's take this loss at the beginning rather than in the end, because I think it is going to take those reps and each game for these young guys to kind of learn about SEC football more and to be able to kind of just do the game better with play the game better with each other and really get more comfortable with one another on the team. And since they didn't get that during the summer, I mean, you're going to have to do it during practice and, during actual games, but I definitely think we are going to see a much more improved Tiger team coming up this Saturday. And I also just week after week, I think they're definitely going to improve. And I think they're going to shock some people around the country, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any other teams not trying to find all of our weaknesses. I think they're, they all want to be, you know, last Mm -hmm. year's defending national champion. So I think everyone's going to try to beat us and we'll probably be on top of everybody's rivalry list this year. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you joining me. And, and um, I hope we get to do this again soon because th- as the season goes on, I'm betting there will be a number of subplots uh, to follow, particularly as we just watch too on the safety side of this. We're seeing uh, you know teams canceling games and we want to make sure that LSU stays safe on that end as well. And they've done a great job so far. So I was re- I'm, I'm happy to see that. But tell folks how they can uh, follow you. Uh, and, and like I said, we'll talk again soon. You can follow me on Twitter. It is up to date with Kate. Um, did a little rhyme there so everybody could remember it. Uh, you can always chime in there. And then I will be doing sideline for high school sports for any potential, you know, newcomers to LSU as well on uh, Cox on game time every Friday night. So check me out there. Um, my Facebook and Instagram is just Kate Adams. So go follow me there and look, I loved talking to you. Anytime you want to talk tigers or any type of football, you let me know, David. Yeah, I'll definitely have to get up with you on the high school side as well, because this season is again, these are historic seasons for one way or another. And I, I'm really interested to see how these things play out. And I know you are as well. I am too. This Friday night, you know, catch us. We've got Acadiana and Lafayette Christian Academy, both defending uh, champions from this previous season. So it should be a good one. All right. Thank you again. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, there will be more Hard in the Paint. Welcome back to Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. And I am excited to be joined by a guest who was with me on the radio show, uh, music and sports writer, Natalie Weiner. Natalie, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm glad to have you back. The last time we talked, it was a very interesting conversation. And um, what I want to get into uh, is the WNBA playoffs. We're about to reach the the finals. Mm -hmm. And what to me has been on the court and off the court, one of the the most dynamic seasons in the the league's history. Yeah. And it's flown completely under the radar. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a bummer, right? Because of the way that the pandemic shifted everything around and like what was going to be this huge sort of turning point season for the league, hopefully, you know, like with Liberty and Barclays and like Sabrina Unescu getting drafted and just kind of all this new weight behind the WNBA, thanks in large part to the new CBA and just all this stuff. There was all these things going for the league. And then of course we have everything getting shut down in March, which is not that long before the WNBA season was supposed to start. Um, Instead it got postponed. So it started at the same time as literally every other sport was happening, you know, so you're competing with not only baseball, which it usually is competing with and hockey in the NBA finals, which can conflict, but like, you know, usually the WNBA gets a few months at least to itself. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have it all happening at the same time. And it's really, it's hard because it's like, you know, I want to watch the NBA finals too, but it's like the WNBA playoffs are happening literally at the same time. So it's like, well, am I going to watch the storm or am I going to watch LeBron James versus Jamal Murray, which was really fun to see, you know? Um, and I think, for a lot of people, of course, that's like not even a question. They're going to take the NBA, you know, because that's just they assume it is better. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's a little tough. And I feel bad for the players in the sense that they've sacrificed so much to be in a bubble, just like the NBA players mm-hmm. have. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think for a lot of them, it would have been even worse not to play at all maybe and of course some people did make the choice to sit out or sat Mm -hmm. out because of various medical exemptions or for political reasons you know there was a whole slew of that kind of thing but um I don't know it's exciting and I think it's going to be a good finals I mean we have a five game semifinal, you know with the sun and the aces so that's pretty that's always a good sign yeah let's get into that one because okay the aces everybody expects to be expected to be here Right. And, but the Connecticut, they start one and six. Yeah. And they close and finish the season 10 and 12, scrape into the playoffs. But then they blow out Chicago and LA. Yeah. Yeah, It's really been wild to see their run. And they did this a little bit. I can't remember their exact trajectory in last year's playoffs, but they also made it really far. And it was also kind of like, Again, not as a super dynamic offense, but really just like a super physical defense and kind of making everybody slow down and play their game, you know, and it's worked well in these playoffs so far. I mean, that game against the Sparks in particular was just like, what is going on? Like the Sparks, I mean, granted, Neko wasn't in, which does make a big difference. I mean, she's like, she could have been an MVP candidate for sure. Absolutely. Um, but still, they have enough weapons on the Sparks that, like, it should not have been a blowout. No. But, like, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you have better, like, basketball analysis skills than me. But it's just been pretty wild for me to watch and see how the Sun make everybody play their game. You know, they're, like, this Aces series has gone a little bit more back and forth. But it's never really felt like they've totally lost control. You know, they've, they've kind of managed to stay in there with and you know not like letting these offensively oriented teams really just kind of steamroll them you know yeah uh asia wilson this is her third year she's already got a rookie of the year she's got an mvp she's been all-star twice she's got a team a game from the finals and and yet still you have other members of her team who have been able to step up incredibly i mean you already have the sixth woman of the year in derica hamby but i thought danielle robinson who has yes. been a good, is a good player. She had a great game four. Yes. No, I was talking with one of my other friends and he was like mad about the series because he's like, every game, some random player from either team just goes <laughs> off and that decides the game. And I was like, okay, well, that's not the worst way to, like, maybe it's not, the games haven't been as close all the way through as mm-hmm. one would hope, but I think that's kind of fun that you like never really know who's going to blow up any given game. I mean, like that one game that Jasmine Thomas casually had like 5 million points and it's just like, okay, nobody saw that coming. It was like her career high, I think. Um, But yeah, no, I think like the Aces, it's really going to be a toss up. I mean, the Aces could totally win it. The Sun could totally win it. I think, I hope tonight's a really good game. 
um, as a Storm fan, I'm like honestly kind of more scared of the Sun than of the Aces because I think the Aces are more similar to the Storm, yes. you know. So it's the matchups mm-hmm. make a little bit more sense. But with the Sun, it's like they just have this kind of balls to the wall physicality, and I don't know if the Storm can totally match up with that. When we go over to the Storm, first Brianna Stewart missed all last year, mm-hmm. Achilles injury, which. You know, we've already talked about this. We talk about this on the men's side, you know, continuously as we talk, either it's Kobe Bryant or DeMarcus Cousins. She comes back and she still has some of the greatest footwork that I, whether it's man or woman in the post and just her ability to score and do everything. But 30, which 33, seven, six, three, two in game three. I don't remember, but yeah, it was some crazy stat line like that. She really like, because she had had sort of a quiet playoffs, but she really blew up like in game three and was just kind of like, okay, I'm I'm here. I'm still Brianna Stewart. Um, But yeah, she's incredible. And then Sue Bird, like. Still out here. Her and Tarazi both, but but to me, Bird has had more consistent levels this year. Tarazi's had some big moments, but just watching Sue Bird, I mean, it's just. It's unbelievable to see her perform at this level at this stage and at these moments too. They're not, they're still not too big. No, definitely. I mean, it is amazing. And I I did this story for the times that came out last week, talking to her and like, just thinking about the fact that she, like her matchup with the Lynx was Crystal Dangerfield, who is a UConn point guard who graduated literally almost 20 years, like, just under two decades after she did and they're like playing against each other in the WNBA playoffs like that's a trip and Crystal really did phenomenally I mean rookie of the year Mm -hmm. Um, I know we were talking about awards a little bit and it's just like her story is like you know the links kind of rolled over a little bit in the end but they were playing really well and Crystal is like probably the best story of the season i mean everybody had thought that sabrina unescu was going to be like oh rookie of the year you know because she's like number one pick she's coming in with all this hype supposed to like be a game changer basically and instead it's crystal dangerfield who's this like listed at five five but actually like five three maybe on a good day you know player um who is drafted in the second round by the Lynx who already have a point guard <laughs> and she like becomes their, like the leader of their team, you know? And, and, and they were missing so much. I mean, yeah. you know, you're missing hall of famers right. and you know, they will be, and maybe one of the five greatest women's basketball players of all time in Maya Moore, who right. you've missed for the last two seasons. And yeah. yet here you go. I mean, yeah, 14 and eight Making in a regular season. Yeah. It's just that's, that's an incredible job for them. And that's the thing. There have been so many stories because you talk about uh, Courtney Vandersloot being the first to average double figures and assists. Yeah. And then, you know, you had um, in Atlanta, now why am I forgetting, Kennedy Carter in Atlanta out of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And she's a star for, you know, for the first yeah. half of the bubble, she was the talk of the whole uh, yeah. the games. So I, I mean, mean, some of us said from the beginning, pay attention to Kennedy Carter when there was all this hype about mm-hmm. – Sabrina Unescu, some of us said, hello, Kennedy Carter is going to be a superstar. But, you know, don't, you know, not to say I told you so, but definitely to also say I told you so. (laughs) (laughs) I I was so sad that she got injured because she's just like, she's so fun to watch. She has that amazing quickness. Yeah. I think that that's the part that's, you know, even with all the players who were missing, Elena Deladon, you know, Samaya Moore, all the ones who sat out, there were, on every team, there was something compelling. There was someone compelling. There were breakout performers. And I just thought that this was, you can see how high the talent level is across the league. Now there's no longer that almost that collegiate disparity between the very good teams and the very bad teams in the league. There aren't very bad teams in the WNBA right now, but I think that the league is in very good hands talent wise on the business side. This is their first year with the commissioner, with the new CBAs in place. Um, what is the next step for the league to kind of increase its profile now? I mean, I think in a lot of ways they've been doing a good job of trying to like juice things a little bit, uh, at least like 
making it look a little more intentional and not like an afterthought. But a lot of the same issues still exist. I mean, like the difficult, a lot, and some of them are certainly amplified by the pandemic. I mean, we can't like blame it all on the WNBA because some of the struggles are because of this, these unprecedented circumstances. But, you know, the issues with merchandise still seem to exist. And it's hard to know whether that's exactly like, whether that's a pandemic thing or a combination of pandemic and like just the fact that they're not really making an effort to make stuff available. Like when LeBron wore that WNBA hoodie, you know, and it was sold out within like an hour and it's like, okay, so you have this golden opportunity to like make profit off the league. Got, you know, this one of maybe the best basketball player of all time wearing this thing. Everybody's obviously going to want to buy it. Like these you, not, It erupted like, on social media. Yeah, Everyone yeah. wanted the orange hoodie. For sure. And it's just like, this isn't that hard to figure out. And yet some of those things still seem to be like major hurdles. And I think also just like, they've got to find a way to negotiate with ESPN so they can get the WNBA on the talk shows, you know, as a part of the conversation on all of, you know, you've got 24 hours to fill with sports programming. Surely there's a way to fit like a little bit of WNBA talk into that stuff. Like, just to expect the talent and the commentaries to be as commentators, I can't even talk, to be as versed in the W as they are in every other league, you know, and to give them time on Sports Center, to give them, you know, to make sure their highlights are played. You know, it's just like it's that same stuff. And ESPN has rights to the game, so it's in their best interests to, to promote it. And yet we don't see these things that seem very basic to me. Right. And, and one of the other things that bothers me, a couple of things that bother me. The WNBA app, you mm. cannot get up-to-date stats. You can't get any, yeah. you know, they're, they're, the stories, they're, the individual pages are barren to, yeah. to, to an extent. And on ESPN, I can't get links to yeah. individual players. I can't get stats from, you know, just from game to game. You have to go into the box scores to do all these things. There are no sortable pages within the yeah. ESPN. So if, if, like you said, if they're partners and their own league, which yeah. it doesn't seem like it should be that hard to make your app. The ex- no. You can take the steal the exact same NBA template and build it out. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why these things, the basic communication and giving the importance, that minimum level of importance, why ha- that has been such And a it's just problem. like, how much money does it take to redesign the app? You know, like, sure, it takes some money, but it's like negligible when it's, you're looking at the co- overall. And that, most of that code's already written. Right, right. Yeah, and I also like the issue, of course, of, like, where it's airing and how it's airing. And, like, they have managed to get more games technically on TV, but the issue with that is then League Pass becomes basically pointless because almost all the games are blacked out. And so I just feel like there's got to be some happy medium there where maybe you charge a little bit more for League Pass and the networks don't black out as many of the games, you know, because right now it's like there's almost no point to having League Pass. Right. Um And it's like, I get that, you know, you want them to be on cable. And I think most people, if they have the channel, they would rather watch it on the channel than on League Pass because it doesn't have, I mean, it doesn't have a Roku app, which is another thing. So I can never watch League Pass games on TV anyway. I'm a Roku person too. Yeah. So it's just like, there are all these like little things that are like, this shouldn't be a big deal to fix. Like, these are just like little issues, like clearly if the will is there, why are these tiny things not being taken care of? Yeah. And, and I think they send a message when we don't prioritize in that way, we right. are telling um, the audience and in particular, we're telling the women who participate in these games, what their value is to us. And sure. that conversation has bothered me this summer as we've seen it go over to um, the commentary side of women who are covering sports, but also in how the, the athletes have been treated. The, the, the WNBA players have not been given the same consideration for their mental, physical, and, uh, you know, emotional, the trauma that they are going through. We yes. have framed this as, and as a black man, I say it, we have framed this as a black man's story, and it is very much a black woman's story as well. It is more so in many cases a black woman's story. Yeah, no, and I, I think you know, the sacrifices they've made, not just to be in the bubble, but also to like decide to center social justice and systemic racism in their work. You know, I don't always like, 
it's really hard to navigate the ways in which like it seems like the WNBA and NBA are taking advantage of this and as like a branding opportunity and the ways in which the players are sincerely trying to like make a difference. You know, I think those things are sort of intertwined in a lot of ways, but obviously I respect deeply that the players are taking, are taking this probably more seriously than any other athlete that I've seen, you know, they're making it a focal point in a way that we haven't seen in other places and like you're saying, it's just, they're still sort of getting treated as an afterthought. I mean, Jewel Lloyd tweeted something yesterday, like the storm, cause you know, the heat clinched their finals berth, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did the storm. The storm didn't have like the shirts and the hats, you know, that say like, we won our conference. Yeah, I saw that finals. tweet. <laughs> you know, oh, we all like, got hats and shirts, yeah. That... Right, and it's just like, that's <laughs> such a small thing. You know, how much do, do like 30 shirts and 30 hats cost? What, like 300 $400 probably? Yeah. And, and if, you know, so it's like you can't even have that ready. Like that's just, it's just not even, like you're just showing that you're not even thinking about these things that you don't And then in the NBA, they're throwing away a ton of Nuggets shirts and they're throwing <laughs> away a ton of Celtic shirts that they right. had printed up. Right. And you've got right. nothing for the WNBA and yeah. Yeah, it's just like, and these are just small, simple things. Like, you can't say that that's a money thing. That's just a thoughtlessness thing. And, and little things, too. I talked to Cheryl Swoops, and she says, you know, the league doesn't really communicate with her. She didn't get one of the orange uh, hoodies in the mail right. when they sent them out. And, and she's just like, she's tried. She says she's tried to get involved in a number of different ways, whether it's been on the business right. side or the coaching side. And she says the league really doesn't have a place for her it seems, especially in a league that's only, what, 24 years, 25, going on 25 years old now, you have stars who are yeah. still here viable Around. in the public eye, yeah. and you're not utilizing them either. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, it would make a lot of sense to really try and draw out the narratives of the players who, you know, have that name recognition that so many WNBA players don't have right now. You know, like people have very fond memories of watching Cheryl, of watching Cynthia Cooper, Tina Thompson, you know, all these players who it's like, even Becky Hammond. I mean, like, you know, why is she not front and center in WNBA marketing? I mean, she's a WNBA legend and now she's maybe going to be the first female head coach in the NBA. And Swin Um, Cash as well. Exactly. Working at the Pelicans. Pelicans. Yeah. Teresa Witherspoon is with us down here as well. And yeah. It's just, it should be self-evident um, to bring these women into the fold. I mean, just like, you know, I did an interview with Rebecca Lowe for a story I'm working on like yesterday and just talking to her, it's like, oh, you were one of the first players signed <laughs> to the WNBA, you know, like, right. That's kind of, and now you're just out here like calling every game casually, like it's not a big deal. And it's like, they should be like, this is a cool through line to have this woman who was one of the literally one of the first players in the WNBA, like now commentating on it and being and one, of one of its major analysts. And the woman who really took women's college basketball from the USC where you kind of just knew about women's basketball. Yeah. And then she became the first face in that regard when UConn leading them to that championship. Definitely. That was the first time I, and I was in, you know, high school, I think when they, they made their first run. You know, it's like I knew who Rebecca Lobo was. And when she signed right. with the WNBA and it was those, it was, I think that first group, it was the, the first commercials her, were Lisa Leslie, yeah. Cheryl, um, and, and Rebecca. Rebecca. Yeah. And, and I mean, and then the Tisha Penicheros and, and uh, you know, just yeah. all that talent. And these that women are still around. They're not, they haven't <laughs> gone anywhere. They're just right here. You know, they like, can't get you, coaching jobs. <laughs> yeah. They can't get coaching jobs. And like, they're just, it's, it's like, it's just unfortunate, you know, that it would be easy to sort of, because people like, it contributes to the idea that the WNBA doesn't matter, that it hasn't made an impact, that it's not going to last, that it's temporary, you know, um, if you don't show, if you don't flaunt this history, if you don't say like, we've been around, this is the longest lasting women's professional league in America, you know, like that's, I mean, maybe except for like, the women's professional golf i'd imagine or yeah but like for teams teams, yes um it's definitely the longest lasting league and you can 
definitely quibble about why that's the case, you know, because the NBA did some sort of shady things to make sure that was true. But like, it's endured and for whatever reasons, and that's worth celebrating, you know? So, yeah. Overall, looking ahead um, to the finals, do you feel like that, I mean, who would you, who would you say would, would be your pick to win the championship right now? I mean, I have to pick You have to say storm. Seattle. Come on. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. But also, it's like they kind of – they came in consensus faves, I would say, along with the Aces. Maybe the Aces were number one and the Storm were number two, and that's how seeding worked out in the end. But, um, but yeah, I think – the team is just working together really re- well right now. And they have a really deep bench, which I'm not so sure about with the aces, but like, I think in the second quarter on Sunday, they like had the full bench in basically like they yeah. were just sitting like all the starters and they yeah. just had bench players in and like, it wasn't quite as hot as when, you know, Brianna Stewart and Sue and everybody were going after it, but like they were, they were holding their own, you know, they didn't let the links like, get ahead or anything so it's like to have that many players who are so cohesive together I think is going to be tough to stop but obviously the aces have that offensive heat and if the sun make it through I feel like Alyssa Thomas just doesn't play like she's a real person <laughs> she plays like <laughs> no a different kind understand. of energy like it's, I don't no. know what she's doing but she's wild and I would not put anything past her and Dewana Bonner too she just like they operate at a different tier, so you know. They- yeah, I, 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 I don't know how she does that each and every night. I uh, <laughs> puts herself back together and goes out and does it again. Yeah, no, it's uh, crazy, and I think it's like, I don't know. I think some people would be like, "Oh, it's like it's wrong," you know, that she's expected to do that. You know that there's a certain like martyrdom element, like, "Oh, we shouldn't expect athletes to like, you know, play injured and all that kind of stuff." And it's like, I agree with that, but also like she's making that choice ultimately. Yeah. If she's got all it's, I think there's a difference for when we talked about football with CTEs, <laughs> yeah. players didn't have all the information. Right. And this right. is also not your brain. So right. if she says, Hey, look, if you do this, you could have surgery. It could cause you this damage. Are you willing yeah. to do that? I think that's a much more different, you know, it's a different kind of choice. And, like, you know what? She wants to compete. Like, that's why all these women are in the WNBA is they love the game and they want to win. You know, you don't make it this far without caring really deeply about that. So it's yeah. like, you know what? If that's which, it's, it's not the play. choice that you or I would make, probably, but it's the choice that she's making. So. It's, it's, it's Isaiah Thomas playing on an almost broken ankle. It's Kobe stepping right. to the free throw line, pulling up his Achilles right. tendon to knock down free throws. Right. It's it's what we've asked. It's Willis Reed. You know, it's all these things. And I think that, you know, that's that's part of it, too, is we I have constantly tried to shift it when I have conversations with people is like, why are we and I just did it. But I'm saying I'm doing it to say it's the same. Yeah, the, 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 the mindset is the same. And we keep trying to frame this as if they're playing a lesser version of the game. Yeah. No, yeah. they are competing. They are shooting. They are. I think that there's more variety of style in the WNBA than there is in the men's game right now, which is yeah. dominated by, you know, guards in particular, but in the WNBA, you got forwards, you've got centers who are still yeah. making huge impacts. And so it's, uh, it's, it's basketball. And it is. It's me. It's competition and it's basketball. And I love it for that. For sure. Yeah, no. And I think like, so we can't, expect these women to like be more careful or like you know they're gonna do things that seem reckless to regular people because they're insane professional athletes um but yeah I think the sun the sun feel more like wild cards to me than the aces I think an aces storm matchup like you sort of know how those games are gonna look they're just gonna like you're gonna crack 100 points a time or two I think and like it's gonna be a great matchup with Asia and Brianna, you know, going head to head. Oh yeah. Um, but Sun is you're kind of just like, that's gonna be crazy. Like, who knows? <laughs> so <laughs> I I I think the storm will prevail, but I'm hoping for good games for sure. Natalie, thank you so much. I, um I had a lot of fun. This is this is another great conversation with you. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. Please tell folks um how they can keep up with you and what you you're working on. 
Uh, well, I am freelancing right now, and so just kind of my Twitter is where I put things. Maybe someday I'll update my website more, but it's just at Natalie Weiner, W-E-I-N-E-R. So, yeah, my name. <laughs> Very simple to remember, but yes. I hope we get to talk again soon because every time I do, like I said, I really enjoy it. And um, you're also an excellent follow. And as a jazz person, I'm not as deep as you are, but you are teaching me things. Like I have <laughs> well, listened to things that I had not. And my dad uh, is huge. And yeah. he, my dad used to be a saxophone player. Oh, and, that's awesome. Um, and, and, and so he loves it. And I am learning more. Um, and and you're part of that. Well, I mean, I always have. I like, I don't know. I love to like tweet random songs. And like, I know most of the times people are like, I don't care about this, but you know if one person listens to it and likes it, then, you know, it wasn't a waste. So. Yeah. And I hated the Rolling Stone list. <laughs> yeah, it was really, I mean, I understand why they did it, but also as a jazz person, it's just like, why, why are you bothering? Just yeah, don't, just you, don't you took the there. lowest hanging fruit possible. Not that they're not great works, but you took no, the lowest. Of course. It, you know, but you, you made it, those are the kinds of things that that people who don't have to know anything about jazz can call out you could anybody on the street could name those albums and i don't want to say it's like apples to oranges because like i am of the opinion that it's actually not that people who think jazz is like this crazy different thing like they shouldn't feel like it's not approachable you know like anybody should feel like they can pick up any jazz album and listen to it because it's all music at the end of the day but also it's like when you're in this ranking mode to like be ranking like art yeah and like one of my friends who's also a music writer did this tweet that kind of like went viral but he was like what the rolling stone list implies is that drake is like 400 spots better than ornette coleman you know and it's just kind of like those are the sorts of implications where it's just like i mean who's to say that's necessarily wrong but the the thing is like really are we gonna go there yeah and this is how we get in history and i hate to let you go but yeah because it's one of those things like when i see the grammys and i see the list of winners and who doesn't have them and i'm like in history people are going to look back and think those are really great artists and there are so many who don't have them yeah no definitely it's imperfect measures i will see you on social media sounds good Uh, talk to you soon thanks so much bye-bye bye